Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Glad to see all of you here at our, uh, at our main auditorium. I want to say a big hello to all of you that are worshiping with us out in North Platte. Hello, North Platte. Come on. Fantastic that we get to be live together at the exact same time. That's incredible. I also want to say a big hello to all of you in the venue. I will be down there. I'll be wrapping up the service in the venue today. So I'll see you guys in a little while. Uh, we are one church in multiple locations. You are sitting in one of four uh, auditoriums, uh, or excuse me, one of four worship services. Uh, we have three different auditoriums, and so uh, today you're just in one of them, and there's many other people that are worshiping with us live at the exact same time. Uh, it's a fun, fun place. It's a great place to be the lead pastor of. So uh, thank you so much for being an incredible, incredible group of people. Um, I think you should, yeah, come on, high five someone or applaud or do something, right? Yeah, right. I mean, clap for yourself. I don't care, all right? Just you, you guys are amazing, and it's fun to be here uh, in the middle of Nebraska with the, with the vision that we have and the ability that we have to pull off this uh, ministry model. It's incredible. God is, is saving people weekly. Weekly, people are giving their life to Christ uh, at, at New Life. Uh, I guess I know it's not about New Life, but we're, we're, we're you know, having a ministry that is, uh, that's being lived out in such a way, and you guys are living the gospel of Christ in such a way that's attracting people. And so you might be listening to me today, either here or in one of our other uh, auditoriums, and maybe you're, you're here for the very first time. Maybe you're seeking after God today, and you're wondering, you know, is Jesus is Jesus Lord? And should I commit my life to him? And should I surrender my life to him? And maybe you got a bunch of questions. This is the best place to bring your questions, by the way. Um, we have a little motto here at New Life that we like to live by, and that's this. We love you right where you are. Amen. And we mean that. We mean that. And I am the chief police on making sure that we love people right where they are, right? Like I, I, uh, I am anti anti beating people up when they come through these doors. Um, I am pro loving people where they are, but on the, on the, on the continuation of that, I'm also pro to not leave people where they are. That's called discipleship. And that's really called biblical love. Biblical love loves people where they, they are, but they love them too much to leave them in that state. And that goes for me included. God loves Jeff Baker too much to leave me in the same place that I am right now, a year from now. God wants me to continue to grow and develop a, a more Christ-centered character just like he wants for all of us today. So no matter where you are on the spiritual uh, spectrum, whether it's at the beginning and you're asking questions or you've been, you've called yourself a Christ follower for the last 30, 40 years. doesn't matter where we are. God has something for us today and that's why we're here. So you're here for week two of the current teaching series, End of Days. Come on, someone say it with me. End all right, end of days. Right, now, I, I'm going to encourage you, uh, some of you guys, uh, you got to say it more ominous than that. It's got to be more deep, all right? If we're really going to get the sense of this thing. So it's got to be more like, end of days. All right, join with me, all right? One, two, three, ready? End of days. All right, that's, I, I feel much better about the beginning now. I think we can move on now. So the end of days, we're looking at um, this, this concept out of, out of 2 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul writes to Timothy... And he says to him, Timothy, listen, I'm your friend. I am your mentor in Christ. 
I'm the one who raised you up. And now, Timothy, you're out there and you're ministering to a church. I've got some advice that I want you to share with the people. So he writes this message to Timothy. Timothy digests it and most likely probably re-preaches a lot of it to his own people because Paul has that type of influence in his life. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you have your Bible, if you've got your smartphone, open it up, go to version. We've got all of our notes right there. If you just search for New Life Carney, um, up, up comes the, uh, you know, all of the notes that we put in there already. You can just kind of scroll through those or you can go to your, your Bible app or if you brought your analog Bible, open it up to um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, flip to those pages. That's where we're going to land. We'll be looking at verse 3 of chapter 3. Yeah, that's where we're landing in one simple verse. Now the end of time, the end of days is something that fascinates people. I get people asking me questions about the end of days quite often actually, more than you might think. It's just one of those very intriguing concepts. And I, I think I've confessed to you before, as a kid, when I was given, you know, as a junior hire, I was given the Bible on cassette tape. Anybody remember cassette tapes? All right. Okay, good. If you don't remember cassette tapes, I love you, right? Um, it's amazing. If, if you don't remember them, if you do remember them, then praise God for all of our aches and pains. Um, so the cassette tape, I, the only cassette tape out of the entire Bible that broke down was the book of Revelation because I played it over and over again. And you're a junior higher and a high schooler and you look, at, you look at the Bible, you're intrigued by, what does it mean, this dragon with seven heads? That just sounds cool, right? It's not, but it sounds cool. And you, I get people asking me those kind of questions today like, Jeff, come on, tell me, what does it mean? What does the dragon with the seven heads mean? And I go, that's a good question. It's a good question. I'll stand with you before God in heaven one day and we will ask him and he will tell us exactly what it means, right? Or people ask me like, Jeff, who is the real antichrist going to be? And I'm like, man, it's a good question, right? Um, what is all these scrolls and bowls and seals? What are all those things? And I know my, I can bring clarity to some things, but I can't bring clarity to all of it. And they'll ask things like, the Ar- Armageddon, when does Armageddon already happen? Is it getting ready to happen? Where does it take place? I get questions like that all the time, right? As, like I'm the expert on all of those things. I can interpret every single one of these little details. I can't do it right? I I give my best at it. I'll study it with all of my heart. I'll go after it. But some of those things, they just don't have a great amount of clarity to them. So does that mean that we just throw end time stuff uh, out the window? No, it doesn't mean we throw it out the window at all. In fact, Jesus told us that we need to be a group of people that know the signs of the times different than knowing exact details, Know the signs. Jesus said it this way, and he's still saying it to us today. He was talking with a group, and he said, you guys, you guys know the saying, red sky at night means, what is it? What's the phrase you've heard before? Red sky at night? Right. It's a similar thing, right? It's the same basic concept. It's where, kind of where it comes from. Red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow, right? Red, red sky in the morning. Sailors take warning. Right, right. Except for? It means, it's saying here, red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. Then Jesus goes on to say this. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. So if we've got a bunch of details about the end of days that are in, somewhat elusive or 
hard to really nail down and say concretely for sure, this is exactly what it will be. This is exactly when it will take place. And this is exactly who will be responsible. Then what kind of signs of the times can we really sink our teeth into today? Because I'm not going to stop as a pastor looking for the interpretation and the fulfillment of all those prophecies. I'm going to keep doing that, and I would encourage you to do that as well. Look to the signs of the times. But when I look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, that gives me some signs of the times that are, those are easy to interpret and easy to understand. They're very clear because it talks about the character of man at the end of days versus the Christ-centered character that God wants us, wants us to have at all times, including the end of days. So we're going to land in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3. Let's go there and let's read that and then let's jump in and let's look at what is the character that God wants us to have at the end of days. It says this, they will be unloving. In fact, you know, let's just do this. Let's read this with me. This is our key passage we're going to be looking at. So read it. It will soak into your heart even better. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. Now this is, this is God's word telling us the way humanity will interact with one another. The way man's heart is developing at these end of days. Now, if you want to know better what is the end of days, then you need to go listen to the first sermon in this teaching series, of which you can do that at mynewlifechurch.com. So today, we're going to look at verse 3 and kind of continue to pull back the veil of what does the heart of man look like in the end of days, which then should tell us, if we flip it over, then how should we live as Christ-centered people in the end of days. And the first thing that stands out in this passage is this statement. Live affectionate towards your family. Live affectionate towards your family. Now, you might go, where did, I didn't read that in verse three. Where does that come from? Let's all, let me show you where it comes from. Right at the very beginning, it says they will be, what's that word? That word unloving literally means the love that a father shows to a child. It's not unloving in a general sense. It's unloving when it comes to the immediate family. Now, when you look around in the world in which we live, do you not see our enemy trying to destroy the family? Marriages are under attack today. Families are under attack. The hearts of fathers towards their children is under attack. The hearts of mothers towards their own children is under attack. There is something that's taking place. What is that something? Well, when you go back to verse 2, like we talked about last week, you'll quickly see that the selfishness of man is what's driving the divide between the heart of man and his own children or his own spouse. We have a lot of households today that are just enduring one another. They're not loving one another. And there's a brokenness in marriages. There's a brokenness in the home today. And the enemy's using it to keep Christ-centered people at bay from being most productive at advancing his kingdom. Because the brokenness of your life and the brokenness of your family is like a handicap for you to get out into this world and be joyful, peaceful, and share the love of Christ. And if the enemy can attack the family and erode the family, then he erodes the very, the very tool that God wants to use to disciple the next generation to be Christ followers. Because the number one job, dad, that you have is not to provide financially. 
It's to make sure that the spiritual heart of Christ is translated and implanted into the heart of the next generation. And mom, that's your job. That's our number one duty when we have children and we're looking at the next generation is to raise them up. So where is the most likely place for the enemy to attack in the end of days? The heart of the father and mother towards the children. We have to work our tails off. We have to come before God and go, God, help me protect this. I don't want to be the man that just drifts away. I don't want to be the man that just fades away. We have to come to God continually and ask him to stir our heart with an ever-increasing love for our family. An example of this unlovingness between mother, father to child and children to, to their parents as well. I just read it on January the 8th. It sickened me on the inside. January the 8th in newspapers all across the world, this article goes out about Ali Sakar. 20-year-old man who's fighting with ISIS in Syria. And his mom comes to try to rescue him out of ISIS. And, and he turns his own mother into the leaders. And then the leaders, the leaders decide that, Ali, here's how we're going to punish her. You're going to shoot her in the head in front of where she works, the post office, in front of hundreds of witnesses. And that's exactly what the young man does. Unloving. We might not see that here on our own streets today in America, but it is happening, those kind, that type of unlovingness to the extreme is happening around the world and it's driven from this deep hate and this deep selfishness, this me-centered mentality, this warped sense of mentality where the enemy is coming in and ravaging the heart of mankind. Let me ask you the question, which one, which one is more wicked? The actual physical act or the thousands of spiritual acts that are happening in our heart where we're drifting away from our family. 1 Timothy 5.8 says this about that issue. But those who won't care for the relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the what? The true faith. Such people are worse than Ali Sakar, an unbeliever. What happens in the heart ends up being more wicked than what happens physically. It's because God cares about the heart. Man looks at the outward. We're able to disguise our separation from our family, justify it in, in many ways as well. While the whole time, the ways of man are creeping in to the heart of the Christ follower separating us from the very effectiveness that God would have us to do. So fathers and mothers, don't let the love of your children grow cold or calloused. Don't let that happen. Come to God today. Say, God, soften my heart. Let my heart become a heart that is, that, that is righteous before you. Uh, let, let my heart be one that has balanced love before you. You know, not, not too enabling towards my children, but not too harsh towards them as well. And so I want to give you an illustration that's going to help you remember how should you pray about this unloving spirit that's trying to penetrate the heart of the Christ follower. How, how should you pray? I'm going to give you, this is the most theologically advanced thing, but it's the most, uh, it's the most simple way I can say it. Um, it's going to blow your mind away. Get your pen out. Get ready for this because it's going, to, it's going to imprint itself onto your mind. You're never going to be able to forget this illustration ever again. It's going to help you remember how to pray so that you can have a loving heart that's balanced 
for God toward your children. Are you ready for this? Take a look. That's it right there. That's it. It goes back to, it goes back to the little story that we used to hear about the three little bears. Remember the three little bears? All right. Stir it up with me again, if you would. Just entertain, if nothing else, just entertain me for a moment, all right? So the three little bears. You've got, you got Papa Bear, Mama Bear, and then Baby Bear. And, you know, here, here we go. One, Papa Bed is, is too hard, right? Mama, Mama Bed is, right, and Baby Bear is, right, that, Papa Bear's porridge is too hot, right? Mama Bear's porridge is, uh, but Baby Bear's porridge is, how should we pray for our hearts? God, make my heart just right. I don't want my heart to be too harsh. I don't want my heart of love to be too cold. God, make my heart just right. Just right. Right? Not too hard, not too harsh. Not too cold, not too soft. God, only you can do that. Only God can do that, guys. But when we pray in that way, that gives God the opportunity to eradicate out of us this spirit of man that's ever increasing inside of us and it's penetrated into the heart of the church. And unfortunately, the heart of the church looks a lot like the heart of the world when it comes to this unloving nature inside of the immediate family. And so let's pray, God, fill me with your spirit and give me a loving heart towards my family at the end of days because that's the attitude God's called us to. And so moms and dads, listen, listen. When you allow the Holy Spirit to change your way, then your children are more likely to live God's way. But it starts with you. Let God change your way so that your children can have the best opportunity to live God's way. Well, what else does Paul say to Timothy that passes on to his church about these end of days and this character of man and and how we can live with a Christ-centered character versus a man-centered character? And that would take us further into the verse, actually just a couple of words. And he would basically say to us this, live full of grace. Live full of grace. Right? Live this heart that's so, so soft and so tender. Live full of grace. And here's where it's at in the verse. It says that they will be unloving and what? Unforgiving. Unforgiving. Unforgiving people have no grace for the mistake and the weaknesses of others. They attack one another. Unforgiving people, they, they have no patience. They have you know, no room for error with others that are around them. And they hold grudges against others because why? It makes them feel more powerful. It makes them feel like they're more in control. You, you hear it all the time. You hear of, you know, well, this person did this to me. And, you know, man, I'll, or this person hurt me in the past and I'll never forgive them. Because if I forgive them, then, you know, that might happen to me again. Or it's just that, it's that sense of power and we refuse to forgive even when we know it's the best thing to do, even when we know it's the right thing to do, we refuse to do it. And in our day and age, unforgiveness is running rampant in our culture. What we need to do is become more like Jesus did. Here's what Jesus does. He's nailed to the cross with a nail through his feet, nails through his hand, and he's hanging on the cross 
trying to get another breath of air as his body sinks down and the, and the lungs get crushed and he can barely take another breath. And what does he do in that state of agony and of pain and of barely being able to breathe? He pushes up all the pain that it takes to push up just for that one moment so he can say some powerful words. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That's the example. It took everything inside of his physical being to be that spiritual man at that moment. Oh, there's no doubt we knew. We knew that the Spirit of God is in him. But do you realize it took every ounce of his physical being to be obedient to his spirit at that moment? God's asking you and me to give every ounce of who we are to be obedient to a Christ-centered spirit versus a man-centered spirit, to let go of the offenses of others and to lay them down. Where does it start? It starts with your heart first. You coming before God, opening your heart up and saying, God, I've been wounded, I'm hurt, I have, there's anger, there's rage inside of me, there's these things that have unrightly been done to me. God, heal my heart. On the heels of that, So first, it's coming to God. You're not going to find the healing anywhere else. You come to God with that. The second thing is this. If you want to continue to find that healing, you start praying for that that person that offended you. If you want to erode the bitterness and anger and the rage and the hurt that comes from things that have been done to you, then start praying a prayer of blessing over them. That starts to erode it. It acts like an acid that is eating away at that very shackle that is around your heart right now and it starts to decay it so that your heart can finally breathe freely again so that we don't, we don't corrupt ourselves with the mindset of man but we find freedom in the spirit of Christ living in us at the end of days. That's where God's called us to live, right? Because we don't, I think we can all be real here today and basically say this, You're going to run into differences with others. Don't you do that all the time? I run into differences with others all the time. It's hard to get everybody on the same page. So constantly on this earth, as long as you have breath, you're going to run into potential moments where there's differences that collide together. Here's, Here's what the spirit of God does versus the spirit of man. The spirit of man perpetuates that difference and you know, uh, accelerates it and exaggerates it and moves it into a realm that it never should have gone. The spirit of God takes that offense, lays it down quickly, washes their hands of it, leaves it and moves away. One of the greatest sins that's happening at the end of days right now is the perpetuation of things that should be forgiven that are being held as unforgiven in the hearts of believers. And we're justifying it somehow. But you're, you're standing on corrupt ground because you're justifying it on the spirit of man versus the spirit of God. So come to God. Open your heart up. God, forgive me. Heal me of this unforgiveness I've held on to. Teach me. Fill my mouth with a word of blessing to pray over that other individual. And let it go as God, allow, as God helps you let it go. And you know what? It's going to take time. It's not just going to happen over a one-moment prayer. It's going to take time. It's going to, it might take weeks. It might take months. It could take years. 
But as often as that rage and hurt and emotion stirs, you bring it back to God and let God deal with it so that we can have the spirit of God in the end of days, not the spirit of man. Amen? All right, good. So Paul, he, he says another thing, though, to, the, to these people about having the spirit of Christ. He says this to them, live to speak truth, guys. Live to speak truth. Let your mouth be filled with words that are true. Here's how he says it. He says it right here, right in the middle of the verse, that they will slander others and have no self-control. Slander. Have you slandered anyone this week? Do you even know if you slandered anyone? Do you have an idea if you did or not? See, slander would be a malicious act, a very purposeful act to bring harm to another person using your tongue, which the Bible says is one of the most difficult things to tame. So in this moment of the service, you just need to know this is something we've got to run to God and we've got to ask for his help with. Uh, when I look at slander, this maliciousness in the heart, it, it looks to me like it has its beginning in the gossip stage. When you give yourself over to gossip, just this random talking about one another, without a malicious desire to hurt one another, but just this continuation of this passing junk, you know, from one person to the next person and standing around our little corners talking about how that person dressed and what they said and how they did this and how they did that, little frivolous things. It seems like slander has its origin there, its beginnings there, and then it grows inside of the heart of a person until someone becomes slanderous towards others. Now, One of the things that blew my mind away about slander is this. The word slander at its very origin is used in the New Testament 38 times. 35 of those times, it sounds like this, diablos. Now, maybe that doesn't mean a lot to you. But that's where we get our word devil. 35 times times out of the 38 in the new testament the word is used to describe devil an accuser one who looks and accuses who verbally spiritually wants to bring harm to you to destroy you to bring you down to your knees i think he does a pretty good job all by himself he doesn't need a bunch of other little devils running around because that would be slander Slander, you're literally causing harm to others with our words. If it's happened to you right now, you're sitting there and you're being brought back to my last point because you're being reminded of what someone said about you and how much it hurt and how it stings and how it lasts for a lifetime. You're going to have to come back to point two because forgiveness is where you got to go. Slander. Slander would be let me just equate slander for you for, for a moment. If a, if a woman walked by here with, with a purse, all right? Now, women that are here, you picture the perfect purse, all right? You got it in your head? Some of it's got like glitz and glamour on it. Others of them are really small so you can hide them. And others of them are like, I don't know, they got rollers on them now or something. <laughs> what are you carrying in there? What do you need this thing for? All right? Guys, I want you to picture the perfect purse. It's probably small. It's like, what? It's just the things you need, right? Fits in your back pocket. Or whatever your purse looks like. I know, it's weird. You don't get typically asked to picture that, much less in a church, all right? Uh, But so you picture it. Now what I want you to do is take it one step further, which you probably many of you have never gone to this stage. I want you to picture yourself stealing the purse from the woman. You're like, in church, Jeff, you want me to do that? Yeah, in church. I want you to picture doing that. 
And I want you to like wrestle with that for a second, right? Because all of you, you know, even, even, the, even the cute ones and the ugly ones, all of us here, all right? I want you to picture yourself stealing the purse. It's hard to do, isn't it? Everything inside of you resists it. It fights away. But you know what slander is? Slander is stealing someone's name. Just like you wouldn't steal the purse from the woman, we shouldn't be stealing other people's names. That's what slander does. See, if I steal the purse from the woman, I steal maybe the bag that she can go back and buy for however much it costs. I steal whatever money is in there and curling iron and, you know, blow dryer, microwave. I don't know what's all in there. I steal those things. They're just materialistic items. They can all be replaced. I steal it and it's got a photo ID and a couple of other things. So I steal a small portion of her identity. All of that could be gained back. I get caught. I go to jail. I'm going to get back out of jail if that's the only crime I've done. So all of that can be redeemed. Okay? You steal someone's name with slander. It's hard to get back. It's hard to get back. So now that we've put it into that context, if someone has tried to steal your name, you know what it feels like. There's two things here. One, we should, we should be as Christ-centered people living a life so, so much above reproach that when someone slanders us, others that are around us would go, never. I know that person. See, that's the beauty of, of this group that we have here. And when you find community with others in a life group and you start opening yourself up and you don't just become the hermit that, that lives behind your three-car three you know, garage that you drive into and no one really knows you. When, when you have community with others and the world tries to slander you, you've got community, you've got a group of people around you that say, I know that person. That doesn't sound anything like their character. The other thing with slander is this. Don't keep passing on the false the false messages that you heard at the water cooler or at the desk or out in the lobby of our church, don't just keep passing it on. If someone's got a beef with another person, you know what I found one of the greatest ways to take care of it is this. Are you serious? That person did that? What? Man, that doesn't sound anything like they said that? What? I can't believe. Are you serious? Come on. I'm, you know, let's go resolve this right now. I'm going to take you. Let's go talk to them. Wow. I'll tell you what. It's, it's amazing how slander just goes. The minute you say, let's go talk to that person together, instead of passing it on to the next person, that's loving. That's a Christ-centered character versus a man-centered character. Let's make sure that at New Life, we are people that are known for building up others, not tearing them down. Let's resist that. Let's fight against it. Let's make sure we know facts before we say anything. And sometimes, even when you know the facts, it doesn't need to be said. Are you with me? That's the attitude. So let us come, when we come to God, we we come to him seeking this. What that verse said was this. They lack self-control. One of the ways that we're going to be able to fight against that slanderous heart is when we come to God and we say, Holy Spirit, fill me with self-control. Many times you might think of the Holy Spirit as filling you with power to do something Oh, amazing. Like, fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can, you know, cast out a demon. Or fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can, you know, pray for someone and they're healed. Or fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can prophesy. Or fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I can have great faith. Let me just say to you this. All of those things could sit on the shelf. And all those things should sit on the shelf. 
if you're not first praying, Holy Spirit, fill me with the fruit of the Spirit. Then all those things can come. But if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, you don't have anything. And then the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Self-control. So if we want to fight against the Spirit of man and fight for the Spirit of God, then when we pray and we ask for the power of the Holy Spirit, our first prayer should be, fill me with the fruit of the Spirit. Fill me with self-control. What, what fruit of the Spirit do you need today? Peace? Joy? Gentleness? Kindness? Which one do you need? Because today, as our worship team leads us in prayer, or leads us in worship, you should come down to the altar, kneel down and say, Holy Spirit, fill me with the fruit of the Spirit so I can be your man or your woman at the end of days, living a Christ-centered character versus a man-centered character. That's where our heart should be. So to end today, I'm going to take you to one last scripture. And we're going to wrap up and we're going to make a move towards God's heart. Take a look at what this scripture has to say in light of everything we've been talking about today. Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires. It's everything we've been talking about. That wage war against your soul. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, even if they slander you, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to who? To God when he judges the world. At the end of days, please remember this. You're just a temporary resident if Christ is the Lord and the leader of your life. This is not your, this is not your final resting place. This is not where all your treasure gets built up. We're building up treasure in heaven. How do you build up treasure in heaven? You live a Christ-centered character instead of a man-centered character. It's very simple, all right? The other thing is, is this, that if you find worldly desires, that you're living for worldly desires, today, the first move you should make is repent to God. Repent to him. Come to God and say, God, forgive me. Man, my eyes have been opened today because that's what the Holy Spirit does. My heart has been pricked. My heart has been convicted and I'm making a move to you. I'm repenting to you. God, I'm, man, I broke your law. It breaks my heart to know that I have broke your law. God, I don't want to continue to be that man or woman. Help me to align myself with your purpose and with your cause. That would be be a, a proper response today. But then lastly, that scripture drove home this point. It said, live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. At the end of days, at the end of days, which one is more important? To know what the dragon with the seven heads means or to live a Christ-centered character that helps your neighbor come to know Jesus? I mean, which one's really more important? To know, to know all the details about who the Antichrist is or to live a Christ-centered character at your workplace so that other people come to know the life-saving uh, relationship they can have through Jesus Christ? Obviously, it's more important to live a Christ-centered character at the end of days, to interpret the signs of the times and to live with Christ at the center of our lives so that the world might know we can live properly among them so that the world might know that Jesus is alive and he's still saving and transforming people. That kind of heart. Let's come to God today with that kind of heart. Let's come to God today with a praise on our lips. We, God, we praise you today. We praise you because you're still in control in the midst of all the wickedness that we see. 
God, I praise you today because through the power of your spirit, you can fill me with the fruit of your spirit to live the way you called me to. You can fill me with the power of your spirit to accomplish what you've asked me to do. God, I praise you today because only you can change my heart towards my family. I praise you today, God, because only you can tame my tongue. I praise you today because without you, God, I am a wrecking ball among the world. A wrecking ball. Right? That's the heart. We come before God today with praise on our lips, praising him that even at the end of days, he's still the one ultimately in control. Why don't you stand with me as we come before God in a moment of prayer? God, we praise you today. Lord, we thank you that you are ultimately the one in complete control. You, God, above everyone else, above every other resource, above any other things we can get our hands on, you are a God of truth. God, you are a God of righteousness. And at the end of days, we come to praise you, God. Lord, fill our hearts with love today. God, help us. Help us to be forgiving people. Lord, and may we be people that speak truth. Because in this world in which we live in, it's brutal and it is cruel. God, we want to be moving more towards the gentleness of Christ than the cruelty of man. So we praise you today. We declare that you are King of kings and that you are Lord of lords. And we've come to this place, Lord, to praise you and to worship you. We come to this place to meet with you. Now, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, may you flow into this place. And may you penetrate into the hearts of people here at our main auditorium in Kearney and out in North Platte. God, may your spirit move in such a way that you draw us closer to you, that we can live your ways in man's world. Christ-centered character in a man-centered world. Lord, help us to live for you at these end of days. In Jesus' name, amen.